Hello, and welcome to Meaning, an examination of how spiritual significance emerges from the life and work of Plymouth Congregational Church of Minneapolis. I'm your host, Chris Bonhoff. Who or what is Plymouth Church? Given Plymouth's progressive Christian stance, which calls us to welcome and walk with all spiritual seekers, and the myriad ministries that reach beyond the congregation into the broader community, it's legitimate to ask who we are and what are we doing here? Hannah Campbell Gustafson, Plymouth's Outreach Coordinator, and Nina Johnson, Plymouth's Director of Youth and Family Ministries, are part of a cohort exploring Plymouth's boundaries and pushing them further past the church's physical walls. They lead Plymouth's involvement in the Riverside Innovation Hub, a network of churches convened by Augsburg University that scaffolds congregations as they explore what it means to be a public church in their own context. In Nina and Hannah's words, flipping the walls inside out to minister to the neighborhood in highly collaborative ways. As a seminary student, I probably think more than most about personal calling. The idea that we each have a unique mission to unearth and follow. I started our conversation curious to know how Nina and Hannah think about their own calling. Nina started by saying that despite her role at Plymouth, her calling is not teaching Bible stories. Then pivoted to what does come up for her. And a huge thing in my role, especially during pandemic times, has been trying to figure out how to help kids have hope. And I think that I'm, that is where I'm called because that feels really natural to me to help figure, help kids figure out like what, why they're here and that they're meant for bigger things that they can't even see yet. So I feel like if somebody said, if somebody said calling was fitting in a really sort of small space, then I would say, oh, I don't know if I feel called. But when calling can be something bigger, I feel deeply called to the work I'm doing in this place at this time. I think that it's been important to me to sort of decide for myself that I don't have just one calling. I mean, my specific example, I think, is that I've for a long time have cared a lot about mental health and stigma around mental health. And, mm -hmm. and also, I think sort of more recently thinking about how... Um, a way to help us all be more human and whole or feel more human and whole is to help us all embrace that we have mental health and at different points in our lives might struggle with struggle with mental health challenges. Most of us will. Um, and, and that I want religious communities to be, or I think they could be and should be a space where those things are embraced um, and explored and not, not things that we have to hide. Um, yes. Uh, and for me, I mean, this comes from like I have a cousin who lives with bipolar disorder and I remember and they they lived in a small town growing up and didn't feel comfortable telling their church that when he was diagnosed. And I, mm. I remember thinking at the time, like, that should be the people you should be able to tell, like not judging them. But ju like, what is it about your what is it about church that doesn't make you comfortable? Yeah. Feel like that mm -hmm. that's a place that you can talk about that. Um, anyway, uh I think that this passion around mental health fits really well within ministry, but but it but it doesn't it hasn't always seemed to. And so feeling like I can be interested in that and in 
you know, and in addressing homelessness and in all these other pieces um, has been important, important to feel like, okay, this is a path that I can head down. Back to Hannah and Nina's new project on exploring the intersection of church and community. Here's Nina with more. It's called the Thriving Congregations Partnership. And their goal is they're using this framework called the Theology of the Public Square, where they really want congregations to go outside of what they typically do and start seeing their congregation or church as something that's bigger than a building. And that really resonated to me as I think something that I hope our church got a lot out of in our previous in our conversations about the embroideries was that church church has to be more than a building. It has to be more than a piece of art on a wall, even if that art is filled with memories and and lots of love. Like the church is not things, the church is people. And we are in a really unique situation being a church that takes up a whole city block, (laughs) being a church where very few of the parishioners live here. But that's sort of historically been true as well. This church has never really been a neighborhood church. It's always been a commuter church. People have been coming in from wealthier areas into where it is. And now, and, and just being this church on the corner of the three most populated you know, densely populated neighborhoods in the Twin Cities, like there are just throngs of people outside our doors that we don't know. And so I really, I was really intrigued by the idea of kind of flipping church inside out. It's sort of how they describe the program, and I really appreciate this language. So is a place helping congregations live into place-based vocational discernment in the public square for the common good? And that place-based vocational discernment. I mean, reminds me actually of what we were talking about earlier with calling sort of on an individual, uh, on an individual level, Mm -hmm. but, but, um, but trying to work with Plymouth to figure out what our calling is in the future. I mean, into the future based on where we, yeah, based really on where we are and uh, the neighborhood that we're in and the people, the people that we are in community with just because we are just because we're here, even if we're not really in relationship with them yet. Um, I like that you said the people that we are in community with and not, because I was thinking like in my head, the people that we serve, but I think that the point, like, you know, the people that you serve could be the people that are in a place around you. But I think unfortunately, sometimes at Plymouth, that takes on a really literal term Mm -hmm. that it is the people that we serve. We are doers. We like to do a thing to provide a service for people. And I think that's what feels really unique about this grant opportunity is that your the, the end goal may not be to provide a service, but rather figure out who your neighbors are and how do you better exist in community with them. And maybe there's a service that you provide, but it's based on what you learn from them that they need mm-hmm. rather than what you as a congregation decide that they need. And that's how this grant is structured. It's this two-year two year partnership where we'll get paired up with three other congregations that they've never had a congregational church before. So we're the first one, which is exciting. And we have no idea what the other denominations of the other churches will be with. And then a, a fifth congregation will be like our older sibling congregation that'll be the mentor that went through the previous 
rant cycle and will kind of steward us through all of this. And so we'll spend six months on each of these four different Mm -hmm. areas of theology of the public square. Mm -hmm. So the first six months will be really focused on what does it mean to go out and, and accompany our neighbors? And I don't know that we've ever done that before. As Nina mentions, phase one of the public church framework is accompaniment, really getting to know the people and social structures in Plymouth's neighborhood context. Accompaniment can feel like an ineffectual word in a culture of doers. But Hannah talks about how intentional coexistence undergirds justice work. The, the accompaniment piece reminds me, earlier you used the term of shoulder to shoulder, and I think that's one, I mean, I one of my previous roles 10 years ago, I guess, was I was a, a companion, was my title, in a, in a house for people who had been um, discharged from mental health and patient treatment, and, uh, but the goal really was to live, I mean, we lived together in the house and cooked meals together and stuff, but, but some of the most important moments for me were spending time on the this was in Seattle, st- spending time on the front porch, looking out at the mountains next to someone and um, sometimes in conversation and sometimes in silence. Something that I had heard about earlier this week was, and I've seen it happen before, is that we have people who will volunteer at Plymouth and Plymouth members will volunteer. And if they're not, if there's not a specific job for them to do they will not stay because like I had my volunteer position and there wasn't anything for me to do. And sometimes there isn't something to do. Sometimes your volunteer position is just sitting in that place or just talking with people. And there's no way to sign up for, there's not, there shouldn't be a way to have to sign up to volunteer to like coexist. Yeah. That's kind of what we need. Right. It's another paradigm shift Mm -hmm. from like thinking about volunteerism as a transactional kind of thing Mm -hmm. where somebody needs something i have that thing i'm going to give that thing to a relational like the point is the relationships it's not like the 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 thing is secondary Mm -hmm. to the sense of belonging and you know being seen and being part of a beloved community Mm -hmm. I feel like that's not always talked about, about how like how hard it can be to build relationships with other people. And when you bring in, I mean, all sorts of different power dynamics and uh, and, you know, a history of white supremacy culture and all of these things like yeah. it, 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 it's scary for everybody, um, which which doesn't I mean we still need to be engaging in it. Right. And this is what I mean, if we say we are followers of Jesus, which I uh I say that I am, and mm-hmm. I think that a ch- this church says that we are that mm-hmm. that we still need to engage in that. But I think, but I think it is important to acknowledge that it is it's not easy work, right? Um, which is why sometimes we avoid it. <laughs> As we've been talking more about this beloved community and radical hospitality, and you know, and and the idea of Jesus as sort of a you know a brown person who, you know, lives with, you know, lives with poor people and lives with sex workers and would be, you know, anti-war and all of these different things and anti-capitalism. And, you know, I think as we started talking about a different idea of Jesus, I think that there are people that, for some people, that's really frightening. And for other people, that's really exciting because it feels like there's more space at that table. You may be thinking, so... What will this project actually do in the neighborhood? Here's Nina. One of the things we had to do in the application was 
write a story about what we thought that what we would imagine our church looked like in five years if mm-hmm. everything was sort of successful the way we wanted it to be. And so some of the things um, I worked on that with my dad and I did it sort of intentionally that way because we cover really different generations and different experiences at Plymouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and we and we sort of envisioned in that um, the building being used for so many more things, you know, as like debates for different, you know, ward candidates and um, and different sort of meals and like the drop in center being more integrated into the life of the church, um, mm-hmm. a vision. A lot of a lot of the programs that we inve- we envisioned in this are things that are already happening. We were talking about the different theater programs that are here. We talked about um, things that we drag story hour that was supposed to happen before the pandemic hit. We talked about the native plants in the garden and and better ways to let our indigenous neighbors know that they're available and are usable. And we talked about this idea of like being able to shut down all of Nicollet and have this you know block long community meal where people from the neighborhood could come. We are in the process of inviting some some partners from within the congregation to be part of a team with us that will be engaged in this in this work. Um, so, so I guess that's part of my answer to have we thought about concrete stuff. I mean, there might be, we might have dreams, but also that those ideas will need to, I think will necessarily need to come out of um, working with this group of people. In our conversation, we talked about individual and collective calling and the vulnerability and benefit of stepping outside of our comfortable spaces as a necessary precursor to being of service to our community. So about that calling, what is your calling? Not your vocation necessarily, but your unique calling in the building of the beloved community. What about your church community's calling? or the calling of the group you feel closest to? And how is your individual and collective calling furthered through accompaniment? Thanks to Hannah and Nina for the important work you do in our community, to Jimmy Hulse for our theme, and to Max Brunel for additional music. And thanks as always to Cody Bordeaux for audio engineering. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear your feedback and your ideas for future episodes. Our email address here is meaning at Plymouth.org. Meaning is a production of Plymouth Congregational Church of Minneapolis.